It's Left of Field with Danny Kavanagh. I'm Danny Kavanagh and you're listening to Left of Field, a sports podcast where I chat to Australian sporting figures about their life both on and off the field. Today, I'm lucky enough to be joined by high-profile sports journalist and commentator Narrowly Meadows. After spending nearly a decade at Fox Footy covering AFL, basketball and cricket, Narrowly's career has taken a different turn. Thanks for chatting to me today, Narrowly, and how are you surviving self-isolation? Yeah, good. ISO life is tracking along okay, so um, can't complain. Well, I say thanks for making the time. We probably all have a lot of time at the moment. It's the one thing we do have. How are you going in isolation? How are you spending your time? Uh, well, I pretty much go for a walk every morning. I'm really lucky that I live by the coast. So even though the, the beaches in Melbourne are not quite the same as the beaches in Perth, they're still, you know, more impressive than walking around the streets, I guess. So I go for a walk every morning, do a workout every afternoon, work on my podcast during the day. And um, yeah, really spending a lot of time catching up uh, with friends and, and family, I guess, and trying to take it as a, as a moment to decompress and just chill out a little bit. I feel like I've been doing the, exactly the same thing. And also you mentioned your podcast. Ordinarily speaking, it's just released and it's it's going really well. How did you feel about doing those really honest, unique chats with all those big sports stars? Yeah, thank you. Um, it's my passion. So my two greatest passions are live sport and um, and covering live sport and then doing in-depth interviews um, because I think podcasts sort of give it um, the time and space to be able to have those conversations with people that you've built up relationships with over the years and when they're ready to share their stories, I think it can be pretty powerful. So they're pretty in-depth human relatable stories uh, even though they're sort of the biggest sports stars in Australia I think they all have issues that everyday humans in Australia can really relate to and probably even especially at a time like like this when everyone's going through a bit of a, a challenge at the moment so yeah I enjoy doing interviews that I think the sports people find cathartic doing them when they're actually ready to tell their stories and hopefully people find helpful and um, and relatable when they listen to them. Yeah, you've been known for quite a while, even with Fox Footy, to doing those real emotional insight stories. How do you get these athletes to open up to you? I mean, Brett Delidio was one interview that really sparked a lot of emotions from the public. How do you build those relationships? Yeah, the Brett Delidio one, for example, I had known um, Lids for years uh, when he was back in Richmond, obviously. I was living in Melbourne and um, and then he moved to GWS and much like every sports person, you sort of just build trust and a relationship with them through working with them over various different platforms. And Lids was one who I knew most of his story and he said to me that he wanted to do an interview at some point, but he wasn't ready yet. And I said that that's totally fine. You just let me know when you're ready to do it. So it was just a matter of, you know, just leaving him to to come to the moment where he was ready to talk about it. And then, as I say, I knew most of it, but still some of it came as a surprise to me. So um, for those people who don't know, who are listening, basically he, he was dealing very publicly with the fact that he 
had gone from Richmond to, to GWS and then Richmond had, you know, won the flag not long after. He was dealing with more than 30 soft tissue injuries at the same time. But on top of that, the day that he moved to Sydney, he lost his grandfather who was, you know, a massive part of his life. He soon after lost his auntie who was, he described as almost his second mum. And then he also lost his sister-in-law to cancer and, her son um, a short time after to an unrelated cancer. So in the space of two years, he and his wife were dealing with just an enormous amount of adversity and and tragedy. Um, And I think just a lot of people had no idea, even though it's close to him, didn't really understand the full extent. And it was just one of those reminders of you just never know what these guys are going through. They are humans, whether it's people who tend to, sit back and abuse um, sports people, maybe just take a moment to wonder what they could be going through or to people, like I say, who are going through their own stuff that you can find somebody pretty relatable in a sports person. That's it. I think sometimes we put them on a bit of a pedestal and we can be quite judgmental and critical of athletes. We feel like we can judge them on the field and therefore maybe we can judge their life off the field. But telling these passionate real stories really share the message that they're just like everyone else. Yeah, exactly. And like I say, a lot of them find it cathartic. Um, and I, I sort of always wait for them to, to come to me and make sure that they're ready. I don't like forcing people into to doing it because there's no point getting someone to share their story before they're ready to, um, because it's just not, it's not going to come across well and it's not going to end well for them either. Does it take an emotional toll on you? It can do. Yeah. Certainly doing the podcast and doing a few of them in a, in a short space of time, can be challenging from time to time Um, and especially when there's a little bit of a crossover so for example in the podcast a lot of the time I'm talking about or interviewing somebody a lot of the time something will come up like the the death of Phil Hughes who you know I knew him as well and and I had to report on on that tragedy and and so um, certainly reliving that over and over is it can be challenging but it's nowhere near as challenging as what they're going through they're a lot closer to it but certainly when you're interviewing people and 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 going so in depth with them and what they're feeling it can you know you need to take a moment to sort of acknowledge your own feelings with it as well and then the other layer on top of that is getting the feedback from people who have listened to you know say that they found it helpful and then maybe share their own stories over Instagram messages or Twitter and things like that, which I love. That means the world to me because that's the main reason why I'm doing it. So, you know, and that's the main reason why the athletes are doing it as well to help people listening. So it's, um, it's a pretty special thing to do, but it, it is also a lot when you get that sort of feedback. But like I say, that's sort of my main motivation. So it means, means more than it is challenging, if that makes sense. There's a real depth that you can go to with journalism. I mean, you've done it all. You've broken news, you've told the hard stories, you've commentated. How did you go being a hard news breaking journalist? Did you enjoy that? Oh, look, I was never particularly good at it, to be honest. Um, I always just got a lot of anxiety over how it was going to impact people's lives and <laughs> things like that. So I've never been great at it. And and as a result, I haven't really broken a lot of stories over the time, to be honest. Um, most of the stories that I've inverted commas broken are they sort of when people are ready to share them kind of um, stories. As far as hard news, I've never really been particularly good at it. But what what I will say is athletes don't respect you if you don't ask the hard questions when they're there to be asked. So I think I've never had an issue asking hard questions. 
because like I say, they, they're, they're expecting it. And if you don't ask it, then I think they just, they just think that you're not doing your job properly. So there's just always a way to ask it in a respectful manner. And I think, yeah, tone and context really does matter and, and it gets forgotten a little bit. Did you ever decide not to break a story? Oh, yeah, there's been plenty of stories that I've just kept to myself or not gone with because I didn't think it mattered or I didn't think it was helpful or just pure and simple that I didn't think it was relevant to sport was potentially more of a personal issue that maybe news would have picked up. But because I was working in sport, I didn't necessarily need to and and I didn't see it as my job to do that. What made you fall in love with sport? Well, I, I always say to people, I, I wanted to play basketball for Australia, but I was short, slow, couldn't <laughs> jump very high and wasn't particularly talented. So I peaked at 14 when I broke my collarbone twice. And that was when I um, decided I wanted to watch sport for a living instead. I grew up with two big brothers in a country town and all we did was play sport and watch sport. And that was always my great joy. And I was really lucky that I had really strong women in my life who loved sport. My mum did, both of my, my uh, grandmothers did. So my earliest memories of uh you know with them is watching sport and loving those moments so I it was never unusual as a girl not to to love it um and I yeah played a lot of sport when I was younger still play sport now and yeah I've just always loved the the storytelling aspect especially coming from a country town I think sport is the essence of the town and and it really does create that sense of community and 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 meaning I guess um and particularly when you're younger you know growing up in a country town where there's not as much to do as what there is in in the city that sport just becomes everything it's the social aspect it's like I say the community aspect so to me sport has always been ingrained in um culture and it's yeah it goes hand in hand so I think that's probably one of the main reasons why I love stories that are more those human side of um, athletes is because I grew up in a space where one one was the other you know there was no separation of of people and um and the town and sport it was all one in the same when you're so passionate about something it becomes so easy to make it your life what what is the one thing you love about sport I love everything about sport I just love the way that it wraps its arms around people in in times of need. I think it does that better than anything else in the world. I love the fact that it brings joy. Um, And the one thing that I love most about sport is even when it really, really, really matters, it doesn't actually matter. And that's why we all love it because it's escapism. It provides a common common theme for people that are otherwise, you know, not necessarily having a lot in common. And I think at a time like this when everyone's missing sport – once again, it, it doesn't actually matter, but it matters so much. Yeah, exactly. And you mentioned you were a country girl from Collie. What AFL team do you support, being from WA? I'm Fremantle. <gasps> the rest of my family are West Coast. Um, are so you the I, only one Fremantle? Yeah, me and my niece, who is Freo because of me. Is she yeah. playing AFL? Yeah, she plays Auskick. And um, when she was uh, turned eight earlier this year, it was it happened to be the same day as the first ever AFLW Western Derby. 
and uh, and Kari Antonio, the skipper of the Dockers, um, organised for my niece Miller to be the mascot um, running out with, with the Dockers. So she thought that was the, the best birthday ever. You must have been the coolest auntie for being able to organise that one. <laughs> Yeah, it was good fun. It's nice to be able to do things like that, but it was it was definitely all Cara, so all credit goes to her on that one. Speaking about women's footy, obviously you've been in the industry now for, you know, over 14 years. Just in the last few years, women's footy has really picked up. Obviously your niece playing, I've actually just started playing this year, so add up to Collegians, um, my team. But um, how have you seen the game? Have you really enjoyed seeing the growth? Yeah, it's been awesome. It's changed a lot since I was a kid. Um, there was certainly no footy around where I grew up for girls. I played soccer with all the boys and that was, you know, that was sort of ahead of my time, I guess, in in where I was from. So, yeah, it's amazing now where we've where we've gotten to and women's sport in general. I mean, you know, it was only a few weeks ago that we had 86,000 people packing out the G mm. to watch Australia against India in the Women's T20 World Cup final. So, you know, when you've got and a feminist and, and sporting icon like Billie Jean King out for an event and Katy Perry, you know, singing, you know, it's a big deal. So, yeah, I think women's sport in general is it's certainly in a completely different place to what it was when I was a kid. It's definitely changing. I mean, you're working in a male-dominated industry. How have you found that? What challenges have you faced? Uh, yeah, there's certainly been some challenges. It's getting better though, and I think things like the AFLW, etc., are making things easier. But yeah, there's been challenges over the years. But I think a lot of women face that in a lot of different industries. Um, and as I say, hopefully, it's it's on track to getting better. The Chris Gale incident. You decided to speak up about that one. What really pushed you to you know use your platform to spread the message that hey, you know, us women need to be heard and need to be respected. I think I was one of many in that situation. There was a lot of girls that decided to stand up and have each other's back, really. Um, the woman involved was a really good friend of mine and I just didn't want her dealing with it on her own. So, um, yeah, I decided I I think it's as much about being there for your mates as it is for anything. And Chris Gale's a really talented and entertaining cricketer, both on and off the ground you know he's entertaining in his press conferences as well as as a batsman and there was just there's just no need for for him to to go where he goes he doesn't need to do that he's entertaining without sort of making comments like that it's a new era at the moment um i mean a lot of people are finding themselves maybe without work or in between jobs um you've obviously experienced this last year after being with fox footy for a decade and then no longer with them this year how have you dealt with that big life-changing moment? Uh, well, to start with, I just went and travelled for a little bit, which was nice. And then I went and had family at Christmas with my family for the first time in seven years because I'd always been doing the cricket. So I got back to the basics of just what I loved outside of what I do for a living. And then, yeah, just different opportunities came my way and ended up covering the ATP Cup for tennis and the Australian Open and then went to the Super Bowl and covered that with ESPN and uh, and as I say, did the Women's World Cup. So it's been an adventure really and it's only been um, coronavirus sort of taking over the world that's stopped every everyone in their track. So I certainly can't complain. I had a lot of really exciting things planned this year, but I'm, I know I'm more fortunate than a lot of people. So we're all in this together and now's the time to sort of look after 
other people be kind to yourself and and take a moment it's sort of been a, a bit of a bizarre 12 months that's for sure the super bowl how was that yeah, it was phenomenal. It was one of the great experiences of my life. Um, like nothing else I've ever done, just bigger and, and yeah, better than anything. Even people who do major sporting events all the time just say it's, it's next level. I was really lucky that it was a fantastic game as well. And there was storylines absolutely everywhere. Patrick Mahomes, um, you know, has already been touted as, as the best quarterback in the history of the game. He's got that much talent and he certainly showed that with the incredible plays that he pulled off to win that game coming from behind. And the fact that you had, you know, 25 year drought, 50 year drought, um, you know, the chiefs ended up getting it done. It was just phenomenal. And then for those who aren't interested in, in the football, there was obviously the <laughs> halftime entertainment as well, which was pretty awesome. So the whole experience was, was pretty exceptional. Is there anything that you saw there or, you know, experience that you would want to bring back to sport in Australia? I love the way that Americans cover sport because they um, embrace personality and entertainment. I think a bit more than what we do in Australia. I think part of that sort of tall poppy syndrome and we just tend to be a bit more laid back anyway, but the way that they tend to do things over in the U S is that you're hired as much for your personality as for your, your knowledge. And, and so that was really good fun covering sport in that way. As far as, as the build-up, I mean, it's a, it's a different kettle of fish just because of the population that they have over there, but they certainly do create a real party vibe, a real atmosphere and an event around the game. Having said that, though, I, I come back with still, I think, two things that the AFL does better is, you know, the, the grand final parade the day before is super cool. And I think also the lap of honour that the that, – um, AFL players do on the MCG and taking the cup to the fans and the crowd is much more special than anything they do in NFL and I think they don't do it in NFL more so for security reasons both that sort of parade vibe and and um, the lap of honour but yeah I think those two are pretty amazing moments that we should be proud of in the AFL. If you had to talk about, so that's obviously a highlight, you know, over the last few months, what has been a highlight for you maybe over the last decade, your Fox footy highlight? What do you look back on fondly? Certainly the, um, it's not Fox footy, but the 2015 Cricket World Cup was one of the, the great moments of my career, being able to cover that at the time and Australia winning on home soil. That's um, a pretty special thing. And I'd covered enough cricket by that point that I knew all the, the players pretty well. So it added another layer to it. Um, it was a really long summer, that one covering cricket, because it had India, Australia beforehand. Um, we also, as I mentioned earlier, had had the, the death of Husey. So it was a really big, long and arduous summer. And for Australia to win the World Cup at the end of that was certainly a really proud moment. Yeah, it was something that I really enjoyed covering. Um, and, and, you know, the packed MCG and, and the whole vibe of it all and having grown up as such a mad cricket fan, that was definitely a, a career highlight um, that I'll never forget. It's a brutal kind of game we're, you know, involved in here, sport and sport broadcasting. Um, have you made those some really great friends along the way? Yeah, it's been amazing. Um, I'm really lucky I've worked with, some of the best commentators and, um, you know, players in, in the world of sport. And um, I'm so lucky that I've been able to do what I love doing and, and being myself while doing it. 
who would you say in the industry is, you know, the typical nice guy is just as good as we think they are? Oh, there's plenty of those. I mean, Adam Gilchrist is one of the most generous, kind-hearted, genuine people that I've ever come across. The kind of person that just checks in on you from time to time. Um, Mike Hussey is the same. Um, yeah, those guys have, have been absolutely phenomenal. But there's honestly, there's so many of them that I've had the privilege to become friends with over the years you know, who have always had my back and I know will always have my back. So whether it's sports people that are, you know, still playing like somebody like a Peter Siddle or or these guys that I've become friends with just because they're players or whether it's people that I've actually worked with on, on the commentary front. Yeah, I'm very lucky that I've come across some, you know, some absolutely amazing people. Did you feel that support when you got axed? Yeah, yep. No, they're all... Yeah, certainly got a lot of support from the public, from colleagues, from from sports people. It was uh, it was very cool. What made you want to join the footy show last year? How was that experience? Um, yeah, it was good. Uh, we, um, you know, the shows that we did put together uh, was I thought they were really good shows. Everyone that came on sort of said that they you know, that they wanted to come back. I mean, there wasn't a show to come back to in the end, but certainly had great fun doing it. Uh, no regrets on, on that front. There were really good people that I was working with both on air and, and from a production point of view. And we were always going to be up against it, but I never want to do something or make decisions out of fear or failure. Um, I just don't think that that's a particularly healthy or adventurous way to live your life. So I always try and um, make decisions based on what you can get out of it, not what, what might go wrong. You've showed a lot of resilience, obviously, and everyone, I think we all need to show resilience now with this corona and all the uncertainty. What do you hope comes for you in the future? What are you striving for? Um, yeah, well, at the moment, I it's just about taking one day at a time, I think, for everyone. I've got a little cheat sheet on my mirror in my living room that says, stay positive, check in with others, don't look too far ahead and breathe. So that's my plan at the moment. Is there a job, a role you'd love to take up in the future? Any sport that you think, you know, you might want to have a crack at? Uh, not really. Like, um, yeah, I was supposed to be doing the Indian Premier League right now in, in India. Um, and for me, it's kind of just, I just love what I do for a living. And I don't really have my mindset on anything because I find that if you have too much of a plan, then, you know, you can miss out. If, you, if you're too worried about where you're heading, you can miss out on, on other opportunities that bob up along the way. What advice do you have for people who are need to embrace the changes that are happening and how do you stay positive? Um, what advice do I have? My, my main advice is just to, to be yourself and, um, and to make sure that you're comfortable with who you are and don't let whatever industry you're in get the better of you, I guess. I, I love what I do. I've always known why I do it um, and, uh, you know, and, and I've, I've never forgotten the fact that sport is sport and should always be that way. It should never – sports people are not criminals. <laughs> like it's, it's okay to hold them to account, you know, to a degree, but not at the end of the day. They're just sports people. So um, just remember that it should be joyous. It should be fun. Um, it should be about the love and the passion for the sport. So I guess not to take yourself too seriously, not to take your sport too seriously and, and to make sure that you always maintain who you are. 
And who is Narrowly Meadows without sport? Um, well, my mum was a psychologist and I always had a real interest in that, which I think is why I also like the human side of the sports story. So if I wasn't being a, a sports broadcaster, I would probably have gone down that path. But outside of that, I, I travel a lot. I love photography, love spending time with my niece and nephews, bit of a foodie, all those sorts of things. So um, all the things that I can't do right now. Exactly. Yeah. Where have you traveled to? What, what place so, are you wishing you were back at? Um, I don't really know what's next. I was really lucky that I'd been overseas a few times in the last um, you go? 12 months, really. So I, I, I did the, the trip to the Super Bowl, which was in Miami. And before that, I was in Vietnam for three and a half weeks. And before that, I did a trip to Croatia for three weeks. And this time last year, I was in a place called Rajarampat, which is in, in uh, West Papua. Um, which was absolutely phenomenal. So yes, I'm I'm very grateful that I did a lot of travel before we got stuck in this situation, and and I'm also glad that I had been interstate to see my family quite recently as well, because I think that'd be particularly hard if I hadn't seen them for a few months before we were then also put in lockdown. But um, as I say, I'm, I don't live in a in a state where my family is, but a lot of other people I know are a lot worse off. So I don't want to be. Um, you know, complaining about my situation. I just know that when I do finally get to see my family again, even though it will be a long time in between, especially with the, the little ones, the niece and nephews, that it'll um, it'll feel pretty special and rewarding when we do actually finally get to hang out again in person. And to finish up, do you have a motto that you like to live by? Certainly at the moment, I think um, don't worry about it because it may never happen. Everyone's looking really far ahead at the moment and some people are falling into the trap of catastrophizing and right now obviously is a catastrophe. It's, it's a crisis, but like I said earlier, just day by day, um, there's no point worrying about when this might happen or, uh, you know, come to an end or whatever. So just try not to look too far ahead, stay in the moment and try not to panic really. I know that's really hard and, and people are in different situations financially and, um, and emotionally, but right now, you know, this time could, could end up being something that teaches us all to be more appreciative and more grateful and having the time to really decompress and, and take a moment and to acknowledge how we're feeling about things. I think could, you know, it, it, it'll obviously come at a massive cost, but there could be a lot of good that comes out of this situation. So like I say, try not to, to look too far ahead, stay in the moment and, and try and focus on what you're grateful for and, and what you're feeling positive about. That's it. Finally, we can all take a breath, maybe reset and get ready for what the future holds. Yeah, exactly. Well, thank you for chatting to us today. And I hope that, you know, the Melbourne weather turns it on for you and you can enjoy those walks again and um, enjoy your isolation time. No worries. Thanks for having me. If you'd like to hear more from Narrowly Meadows, follow her podcast, Ordinarily Speaking. Thanks for tuning in to this episode. Next time, I'll be chatting to an Australian boomer's up-and-comer.